Hello and welcome to the Movie Bunker podcast. It's me, Chris. Hey, Matt. Hey, Matt. How's it going? It's all right, actually, Chris. I'm doing all right. Good. The weather good. is horrendous. There's potential Oof. flooding. My, my kids get very worried because the um, Amazon thing warns them of flooding, even though we live on top of a basically a fucking mountain. <laughs> um, so if it flooded here, we'd have bigger problems than just a bit of flooding. It would be like the end of days. It would be like 2012. Yeah, or the day after tomorrow. Yeah. Which is can't come soon enough as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> uh, um, so, yeah, the Movie Bunker podcast is the podcast which we review where we review, sorry, movies that are critically panned. And then we find or try to find the good things to say about them. And then a lot of the times uh, guests come on as well and they talk about like a movie that was panned by their peers and they defend its honour like a knight of the round table. (laughs) And uh, we, we try to then agree that it's good and then we fling it out of the bunker and onto the shelf of some unsuspecting movie lover. Yes. And uh, that's the podcast. And coming up, we've got like a really exciting live podcast. Um, I, I am stoked about this, actually. I've been excited for ages and it's not too far away now. No, it's coming up, isn't it? Superpod. Should we play the Col- trailer? Uh, let's play the trailer. Superpod 2020, raising money for sport relief. Two days of great comedy and sporting podcasts. Desert Island Dicks. Sports Spiel, Life Goals with Theo Delaney, The Dredgeland Podcast Spectacular, and more. Saturday 7th and Sunday 8th of March at The Social in Southampton. And you can be there too. Free entry until 7pm and then ticket only from 7pm. Tickets available now at superpod.co.uk. If you can't be in Southampton, the whole event will be streamed live online on your smart speaker and on Facebook Live. Find Superpod UK on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and use the hashtag Superpod2020. For more information, visit superpod.co.uk. So that's the trailer. Sorry, go on. So I love the way you give it a gap there. It's always, yeah. like, we don't need to do that, really. <laughs> <laughs> I do it for courtesy. Um, so it's for, yeah, sport relief, as you heard the lovely lady say. And um, we're proud to be part of that. We're playing, playing, I said that last time. We're on, uh, on the Sunday, the 8th of March, between 3 and 4 p.m. at The Social, which is in Southampton City, uh, if you're from Southampton. Which I think is prime it. Sunday podcast time, wasn't it? It's like, yeah, like if you're sat around, you know, not watching the rugby. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Well, the good thing is, is, as the lady says, uh, I'll keep referring to the lady. I don't know what her name is, but she sounds professional enough on there. She sounds robotic, to be fair. (laughs) But she she said you can listen live and you can watch live, I think. So we'll put all the links to all the gubbins on our social media. So if you're not already uh, subscribing or subscribing or following us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook, pop on there and, and, and search for the Movie Bunker podcast. And then all the details of the live show will be on there and where you can watch it and how. We'll put links up to all that sort of stuff close to the time. But we're really looking forward to it. As it's in the aid of, of uh, sport relief, we're going to l- look at choosing uh, a crappy sports film, aren't we? We are, yeah. So we've had some suggestions. We've had uh, uh, Rocky Five, I think was a suggestion. Uh, yeah. Caddyshack 2. Yeah. Um, Tin Cup, I think. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tin cup's pretty poor, um, but I think the one that, that that's really catching my eye at the moment is Ed, um, <laughs> which is a Matt, a Matt LeBlanc movie where he's a baseball player. And is that the chimp- monkey one? It's like, a yeah, chimpanzee. <laughs> major League, Major Friendship, Ed, and it's about a, a monkey. Heroes come in all shapes and sizes. So, I mean, I'm intrigued to see if, there's, if that is available to watch, but that would be probably amazing. I don't know what score it was on IMDb or Rotten Tomatoes, but just looking at the poster, it looks like it's going to be incredibly low. I think um, I've seen it before. Oh, God. I think Matt LeBlanc, just straight out of Friends or just during the filming of Friends, I think he decided to do a monkey friendship movie about baseball. I mean, everyone um, has to at some point, so you may as well get it over with. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Anyway, Matthew, you had a guest. I did. I did. I had Sam Clements on, um, who's a, a podcaster um, on 90 Minute Film Fest and Picture House. Um, Picture House is. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at Sam underscore Clements. And um, he was on talking about Jupiter Ascending. Oof. Oof. It's one we've wanted to do, isn't it? I know when I, when I saw that he wanted to do this one, I was like, oh, Chris ain't going to be happy because yeah. this, this was one on our list. Well, I, I, I obviously seen it and it, it's beautifully bonkers, but oh. has got some fantastic uh, acting in it <laughs> from a certain well-known actor, uh, Eddie Redmayne, being notable. Yeah, camp we, we did talk about Eddie Redmayne quite extensively. <laughs> um, after the interview, Matt, we're going to have a little chat about Razzies. Razzies, yes, Razzies time of the year. They're doing a weird thing this year where they're sort of announcing the nominations before even knowing when the award ceremony is going to be. So, yeah, so we're going to talk about who the nominations are. Well, I think last year we meant to do this, but we've we kind of missed the boat. But I just really wanted to capture this because this is kind of right up our street. This is you know, our thing. Yeah, we should yeah, be invited. Fuck, fuck the Oscars. Um, <laughs> so anyway, after the interview is all that. But now here's the interview. Today I'm with Sam Clements. Hi, Sam. Hello. Thanks for having me. No problem. Um, today, obviously, we're going to talk about uh, Jupiter Ascending, um, your film of choice for the bunker. Um, but before we get into that, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Uh, of course. So uh, I'm a, a podcaster, uh, I guess, um, if that's a thing. Can people be podcasters now? I uh, hope so. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, I'm a podcaster um, by choice. I've been podcasting for about 11 years now. Uh, started a cinema podcast for a cinema chain called Pitch House Cinemas, uh, where I, I am gainfully employed. And I've been doing that uh, ever since. But then I'm in, in my spare time, I've also thought one podcast wasn't enough. So I started another podcast called the 90 Minutes or Less Film Fest, which is a celebration of films under 90 minutes long, which is the correct film runtime yes. uh, for anybody who, who, who doesn't know. It's definitely my favorite film runtime and something I always like to sort of mention if I'm reviewing a movie or, or talking about a film with friends. Um, and it was only 90 minutes. What a joy. So I thought, you know, I love this so much. Maybe now I should, I should do a podcast uh, about it. And then this Christmas, I went insane and I did another podcast um, uh, called The Holiday Season, which I think is probably of interest maybe to you, Matt, because uh, it is a film, a podcast all about the holiday, which on release didn't get great reviews. Um, yes. But it's a film I, I truly love uh, and I love so much. I made a six part series uh, all about it. <laughs> wow. And do, do your other podcasts know that you're cheating on them with the other, the other podcasts? 
Uh, most of them are, are in my, so um, I'm very lucky that my wife is also a, a bit of a podcast anorak and uh, together we make the 90 Minutes or Less Film Fest and, uh, and, and the holiday season. Um, and I think that's just because throughout a lot of our relationship, I've been editing a podcast or recording a podcast or making a podcast. <laughs> um, so, uh, so yeah, my, my Louise is our producer and she, she got involved, uh, which is great. So, um, so I think it's a very amicable relationship cool. uh, there. <laughs> Yes, the um, whole making a podcast, editing a podcast, doing a podcast thing tends to be the eternal loop of podcasting. <laughs> um, a lot of people obviously hear the talking, think that that takes an hour of your life. It does not. <laughs> exactly. It's all of the, I guess it depends what your podcast is about. If your podcast is about just talking into a microphone, that's probably all you need to do. But uh, if it's about a subject or, uh, or something, preparation is usually needed and, and, and watching films. So that's just, that's just time, isn't it? That's a lot of time uh, that goes into those hour long chats. That's cool. Uh, so um, where did your love of film start? Is there a particular moment you can remember or is it something that just sort of grew over time? I think it started in school. Well, I don't know. I guess everybody watches films when they're a kid. Um, but I never thought I'd do anything, I don't know, hobby-based or professionally-based around cinema. Uh, I always thought I'd be an artist. Wasn't that a nice thing to think? That's I'll be an artist. Yeah. I, uh, I studied art in GCSE, and I, I think I was getting okay grades. That might have been the why, why I was thinking, yeah, I'll be an artist. I've got an A. <laughs> um, so I did, I did a lot of art uh, all the way you know, through to my GCSE stuff. And then, um, and then when I went to sick form, I had to take some other subjects because I couldn't just do art at sick form. And that's when I took uh, film studies and media studies, which are essentially the same thing. But um, I thought it would be an easy way to get some grades. <laughs> um, and then and, and through doing film studies and media studies, um, I really, really got into cinema. And I thought, actually, it's really hard to make a living being an artist. And it might be slightly easier if I <laughs> did something film related. Uh, and just thinking like, I don't know, maybe I will... I don't do some anything, you know, like sell tickets to movies or or maybe I'll make a movie. I don't know. I, I just like wanted to be around film. I think it got me uh, at that point when I was like 17 or 18 and I started to buy all the films you should have seen, like The Godfather and uh, Goodfellas on DVD. And, uh, and then I just started like binge watching films at home. Uh, and did that, and then I went to university, to lovely Southampton Solent University, studied film, met some amazing people, and uh, and yeah, I just think like that was when I was like really properly getting into film and thinking about what could I do uh, there. So I think it was a later love of of film, but um, but something I've been hooked on ever since. Brilliant. Yep, that's uh, it's a very familiar story actually. Yeah, I, I myself went also to um to art college after getting a good GCSE grade. And thought, how could I fail to be an artist with these grades? Um, but then realized that it took actually quite a lot of hard work and dedication. It wasn't something that they just someone walked along and looked at your drawing and went, yep, that's brilliant, you're signed. <laughs> if only, if only, if only my teacher was also my employer. Um, I think she liked my work. <laughs> Cool. And um, as it's always, um, I like to ask these questions. Have you seen a film uh, recently or um, not so recently, um, which you're really looking forward to, but ended up being slightly disappointing or very disappointing? I was sort of hoping your question would just be, have you seen a film recently? <laughs> which I could have gone, yes. <laughs> um, there's no yes or no questions on podcasts. What's that about? I, I did. I saw, well, hmm, I don't know. So new films, I've I've been really hyped because we're in award season right now and everything yes. is getting amazing reviews. So I've been really excited for like everything. And I have been disappointed by a couple of films, but I haven't like hated them. They just haven't been 
the five star experience that the Guardian told me it would be. It's right. just been like all right. So I saw David Copperfield yesterday uh, by Amandu Iannucci. Uh, yes. It stars Dev Patel and, and some really brilliant people in it. And I was so excited. The trailer is so good. The, the news stories, it premiered at the London Film Festival and all that great stuff. And the trailer makes me laugh every time I see it. And I've seen it a lot because it's been trailered in front of everything at the cinema for yeah. weeks and weeks and weeks. Um, and I, I sort of, you know, was so amped for the movie and I went along and I thought it was okay. It was fine. But I... It wasn't the belly laugh sort of uh, thing the trailer promised. And I didn't quite see why it got the five star reviews. Like it's decent, it's good. So I think on Letterboxd, they gave it like a, a three and a half, a pleasant Sunday afternoon film. Yeah. But it's not gonna be, it's not gonna change your life. So I was a bit disappointed by that, but it isn't a stinker, it's a good movie. Um, which is it's kind of a funny one. Over Christmas, though, I did do some catching up on some old movies, which is what I love to do over Christmas. I get a big pile of DVDs and, and Blu-rays and things of films that I should have seen, or you know, feel people feel you know, like you know, like that they're, they're 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 in the canon. They're films that are out there. People know. So I watched My Fair Lady because I like a musical, and yeah. it was awful. Such a <laughs> terrible, terrible film. And I was so excited. I bought a posh Blu-ray, 60th anniversary edition uh, from FOP. And, uh, and yeah, it wasn't, wasn't cheap, but it was like, it's all right. It's been restored. It's, it's this great film. And, I, and, you know, and it's got a great cast, Audrey uh, Hepburn in there. But it's, uh, it's really bad. So the gender politics are really <laughs> awful. The songs are terrible. Um, Audrey Hepburn's doing a cockney English accent because she's a, a flower, Eliza Doolittle flower girl uh, yep. who's based around Covent Garden. And, uh, and, and I thought that was really grating. Um, and this, this guy just keeps her prisoner and is mean to her for two and a half hours. And then they fall in love. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, hugely. Uh, that was a genuine disappointment by that. I, I thought it would be, you know, like this is going to be a five-star musical yeah. experience. I can see why. I think it won. It got nominated for. It was one of those films that got nominated for every Oscar at the time it was released. It's like nominated a proper classic, like isn't Oscars. it? I mean, it's considered. I mean, I actually admit I've never seen it, but it is considered to be like you know a proper classic. I can understand why that would be disappointing if you absolutely loathed every single part of it. Because it was so long as well. And, you know, I'm, I'm a person who likes a film under 90 minutes. <laughs> yes. uh, so when I saw the runtime, I think it was maybe close to three hours. It's wow. which is quite a long uh, runtime. Um, and I, yeah, it just didn't, didn't warrant it. So a little bit disappointed. And it may be blasphemy. Maybe at the time it was, you know, hugely rated. But I don't think it's held up very well, sadly, 60 years on. Uh, which is a, it's a shame because, I, you know, it's not nice to... to, to um, be mean to the classics uh but yeah that was a personal disappointment and and uh, for my also a waste of money uh, didn't need to pile up posh blu-ray <laughs> <laughs> you could try and maybe pass it back on on ebay or something obviously don't put I might your just take it back own to review FOP, on it <laughs> is that okay uh, excuse me fop this film was supposed to be good i was led to believe this film would be very good and i was disappointed uh, <laughs> cool and uh, the inverse of that question have you have you like been like made to watch something before some reason you weren't looking forward to it and actually turned out to be pleasantly surprising this is my favorite thing that happens in the cinema so i love because I, I quite like you know like generic action films or um maybe what some could consider straight to dvd sort of films because yeah. sometimes there's a gem there's a diamond in the rough and uh and yeah recently i went to see bad boys for life which i thought would be terrible and uh and to my surprise when i showed up at the uh the showcase in bristol uh, where I happened to be that night, uh, it was completely sold out on the Friday night screening, which was my first surprise. <laughs> and then I went into the cinema and I had an absolute blast for just under two hours. Uh, and that was my second surprise. So I can highly recommend Bad Boys for Life. Not like, it's not a 
again, not going to win an Oscar, but it's a, it's an entertaining movie and it's so much better than Bad Boys 2. Uh, so yeah, that was, uh, that's fun. That was really fun. So that's, that's my, uh, my recommendation there. Surely it should be sort of Bad Boys 4, because Bad Boys 2 is like two films, right? Which is kind of why it kind of grates on a lot of people, because it's like halfway through the film ends and then starts again as a completely different film. I mean, it is, it is the longest Bad Boys, Bad Boys 2. Bad Boys for Life is closer to the runtime of Bad Boys uh, 1, which I then rewatched on Netflix. And Bad Boys 1 really holds up. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so maybe the, it's just those two films, Bad Boys 1 and then Bad Boys for Life and skip Bad Boys 2. Just pretend it exist. Yeah, bad Boys what? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Good stuff. Okay. So that um, then brings us around to your film today. So you have chosen to watch and try and pull out of the bunker um jupiter ascending um surprisingly for you it's a two hour seven minute <laughs> run time i can't help but fail to notice um released in 2015 i like to if i uh, get the opportunity to go on to other people's podcasts i sort of like to uh leave my work clothes at home <laughs> and um and sort of spread my wings a bit Just so go crazy <laughs> i always try and choose a long-ish film uh, um, in this sort of situation, because it's too much like uh, like my day job doing uh, under ninety true. minute films. <laughs> I mean, we won't hold it to the ninety minute thing. <laughs> I don't think the Wachowskis have ever made an under ninety minute film. The directors of uh, Jupiter Ascending, I don't think they've ever made uh, anything under ninety minutes. Um, so I, I think they're permanently uh, banned from my podcast. Yeah, <laughs> it's a great be. shame because I really do like their work. <laughs> no, nothing is short. Even um, Speed Racers, incredibly long. I remember be watching that in the cinema. And uh, uh, it was abroad, so they actually had an interval. Um, ah. and, and the other people in the cinema obviously clearly thought that was the end of the film. And uh, um, after the interval, we were the only ones left in there. <laughs> so it's like, I mean, that's true. Every film things. is 90 minutes or less if you decide to leave or turn it off at a certain <laughs> point. <laughs> I wonder if you could do a podcast about that. Films, if you leave after 90 minutes, actually are better than in their full runtime. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think My Fair Lady would be. <laughs> You've been taught that the birthplace of the human race is Earth, but it's not. Do you know what this will do to people when they find out the truth? I don't think that most people would want to know the truth. I do. Your planet was seeded by a brass axe industries roughly 100,000 years ago. It's one of the most powerful dynasties in the universe. There are three primary heirs. The oldest is Belem. He's the one that controls this planet and wants you dead. I'm telling you, I'm nobody. You are royalty. What about the girl? Still alive. Bring her to me. Same genes reappear in the exact same order. It is what you call reincarnation. Her Majesty's life is going to change if she wants it to. I'm still the same me. Right now, Balem owns the title to Earth. Once you claim it, the Earth will belong to you. I will harvest that planet tomorrow before I let her take it from me. Have you ever seen a harvest? Never. But I've heard they feel no pain. Shira! Shira! 
about why you wanted her. That planet belongs to me. Not anymore. Your Majesty, I have more in common with a dog than I have with you. I love dogs. I've always loved dogs. Here we go. Um, so yeah, so I, I was, um, I've been, I've been sort of um, hungry to talk about Jupiter Ascending for a really long time because I saw this at the cinema and um, and I've never really had a chance to talk about it. So right. yes, this right. is uh, this is a this is a hallowed moment. I'm very pleased to be able to do this. Good. Okay. Right. So uh, get right into it then. Um, why have you chosen this film? Why do you believe this to not be worthy of its uh, sort of lowly rating? What five point three on IMDb is quite small. Uh, I. I, I think just because I really liked it. <laughs> I guess that's what, that's what most people say. I saw this, so I went to, um, uh, I was lucky enough to go to a press screening of this, and it was at the BFI IMAX in London Waterloo, which is uh, often the uh, guys at the cinema like to tell you it's the biggest screen in the UK. Um, so I got to see this at the IMAX in glorious jumbo vision. And, uh, and me and my, my good friend uh, who went to watch it with me, we turned up a bit late. So we had to sit on the very front row of the IMAX, right. which is, is a, it's sort of a neck craning experience yeah. <laughs> like nothing else. Um, you, yeah, I think we have to sort of constantly look left to right to see the whole screen because it doesn't naturally fit in your field of vision. Yeah. And, uh, and, and yeah, we were a bit late. We are a bit stressed out because we were late for the new Wachowski film. Oh, my God. Um, we've got these seats right in the middle at the very front. Not great, but okay, here we go. And, you know, the two hours and, and seven minutes uh, that the film runs for, I thought, zipped by. And we had a blast. We were giggling. We were cheering. We, we, it was a whale of a time. And then I, we left the screening. And it being a press screening, we then jumped onto Twitter to see what everyone was saying. And everybody hated it. <laughs> and we were in Waterloo train station waiting for our ride home. And we were just like, what, what film did they watch? <laughs> uh, that was a, that was a hoot. So I think we had, I think because of that experience in particular, it wasn't just that, you know, like we went into it knowing that it maybe wasn't great or whatever. We, uh, we went in kind of blind and not really thinking about what we were going to watch other than it being a new uh, Wachowski movie. And, yep. uh, and, and we'd love, we loved Cloud Atlas, which came out a few years before, um, then so you know we, they, I thought they were on a bit of a high and uh, and then and then yeah that that sort of feeling that the hundreds of other people in the cinema all didn't enjoy the movie very much uh, and uh, yeah that was kind of fun so uh, that added to my enjoyment I think knowing that actually I was part of a very small club of people who in, enjoyed the movie and it is a small club because I think on Rotten Tomatoes nowadays it's about twenty seven percent positive <laughs> seems to be shrinking as well. <laughs> Uh, which is a it's a funny one so I've always and I often I don't know I kind of like those they're like a badge of honor aren't they like um you know if you're a lone voice for a certain movie then you know like well actually uh, this is why I liked Jupiter Ascending and you can put that forward uh, sadly with Jupiter Ascending people are just not talking about it at all so again you rarely get to have that conversation but at the time it was quite fun just to talk about why people maybe didn't like it and why I personally uh, did uh, did like it but yeah since then I, I bought the blu-ray as soon as it came out I think I think I uh, I did some work with the distributor and I think I got a Jupiter ascending pen which lighted Ooh. up and uh, I'm I've, I still have that pen today uh, that's some hallowed merch uh, there so uh, yeah, I'm, a, I'm a Jupiter ascending pen carrying super fan 
and, uh, <laughs> and I've watched it a number of times. And recently for this podcast, I got to rewatch it um, at home, but I watched it with someone who'd never seen it before. And it was nice. really fun to sort of watch him watching the movie. Um, and I, he didn't like it very much, but that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> So a, a lot of the criticism labelled at this film is that it's um, quite hard plot-wise, well, not plot-wise, I guess, because fundamentally there's an incredibly simple story at the heart of this. But in terms of like delivering that plot, there's a lot of um, exposition and uh, general leaps of faith that have to happen throughout the film. Um, is there any way you can challenge that? I mean, I think the proper process of watching a film is a leap of faith and <laughs> you have to suspend your disbelief. Um, I'm not, I, I guess I didn't go into this thinking I'm going to see a really tightly scripted movie. It's not like an Aaron Sorkin uh, sort of joint or, or, or something, yeah. you know, it's not like, okay, I'm here for the, the writing. I'm here for spectacle. And this film absolutely delivers. And I think that's what the Wachowski's like two key selling points are originality and uh, just pure spectacle in every film. They're pushing the, the art form uh, forward. And, uh, and again, seeing it on IMAX, I think I really got to experience uh, some of that firsthand from, from row A uh, down there. <laughs> Do you feel you might have uh, missed some stuff though, being quite so close, like, like when uh, you're looking uh, right, <laughs> there must've been a almost, quite stuff happening to the left. Almost definitely. Um, yeah, it wasn't, they're not, they're not great seats. You know what, they shouldn't, they shouldn't sell those seats. <laughs> but uh, I, but you know, it, it was enough for me to enjoy it and then to want to go and, and watch it again. And, and I've, say, I've watched it a number of times now um, there, but I, but yeah, I mean, I sort of agree with those criticisms, but I also don't think it really matters. Like I, I, I do films should make sense. That makes sense to me. But yeah. also films don't need to like, it does, it's not all about it being a really tight, sort of story or a cohesive plot like I think the story in Jupiter Ascending is so dense it would it feels like the Dune novels or something like it would need yes. to be told over a, a series of books um to to get the story across I think it's just sort of like it's a bit of a hokey space opera very derivative of, of other sort of things like this we've seen it before you know evil families um a, a plucky young hero uh you know who doesn't know she's a hero and all that sort of stuff and uh, yeah. there's a sort of you know wizard type character who zooms in with audiences uh, and all that sort of thing so i i don't know like, i it wasn't really a big thing for me but i think if you were looking for logic then jupiter ascending is not the film for you <laughs> i mean you could probably hit the poster and realize this wasn't going to be the film for you if you're just you know if you're out for a, a decent real life story right <laughs> And I think like even the, 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 the sort of everybody involved, I think, I mean, I think, I think the Wachowskis, I think and they wrote something ridiculous, like a 600 page script for this film, which also makes me think maybe it should have been a series of movies than trying to cram it all into one. Like yeah. they, they obviously live and breathe the mythology, but I think for the cast, it's just a, a fun ride. Like they get to work with the Wachowskis um, who are going to be a really, you know, like probably a very different directing experience to other directors. The Wachowskis seemingly get like a blank check on the budget department uh, yeah. to do their films. Their budgets are absolutely huge. This film costs $180 million, uh, which is a hell of a lot for 2015 and is still a hell of a lot today. <laughs> um, 
but uh, but like Channing Tatum, uh, apparently on when the film opened, uh, he did a Reddit AMA, and someone said, you know, what's Jupiter Ascending about? And he said, good question. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like I don't I don't mean the cast are sort of reading the script, going, yeah, this is this is beautiful poetry. They're going, this is going to be a hoot. I would love to be have wolf ears and swing around <laughs> from a crane for six months. I mean, I, I think I remember reading about this film is that the the techniques that they uh, used to um, film. The, the sort of big Chicago set piece where he's kind of uh, rollerblading in the air, <laughs> um, taking out uh, enemy spaceships. So the, uh, the technique they use of actually sort of having a 360 rotor rig on a camera on a on a helicopter with people like suspended belief it is now used you know, like that's now commonplace to get these sort of strange 360 degree shots, which they can then piece together and and put the film together. So, and again, I mean, very much like Bullet Time and Matrix, the, the Wachowskis have definitely were pushing the boundaries of what was possible, um, even in 2015. I think they always, I don't think they make a film unless there's something new for them to do. Yeah, unless they can make a massive are... camera rig. They're not after Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think they, they are always looking for, and I, I sort of think they're, this might be a romantic way of looking at it, and maybe it's not true. But I sort of think that they, when they're coming up with ideas for movies, um, they they think, you know, what can we do that's new in this, and how can we sort of, you know, do something we've not done before? Yeah. And I think as their budgets have got so big because of the success of the Matrix and, and all that stuff, they um they are they are kind of in a really unique position, or they were, um, because this was their final uh, feature film and, until the Matrix comes back. Uh, they mm. uh, they I, I think they're just sort of working on such a big canvas um the likes of which other filmmakers don't really get to do not with original properties that aren't you know part of a, a larger franchise i don't think was there i mean because obviously it didn't do well in the box office do you know if there was actually any, uh, an intention to make this a series of films because it, it does feel grander than even in its two hour seven minutes runtime it feels like there is more story to be told here <laughs> I think what happened, uh, the film definitely got delayed uh, by six or nine months, maybe. It was quite a major delay, which isn't a good sign for a movie, no. which I think uh, was for, for reshoots and also for cutting out a lot of stuff, because I think originally the film ran a lot longer than it did. So I wonder if the original version of this actually maybe felt a bit more complete uh, than, than the version we have now. Not that I don't feel like this one is complete, but I feel like some things are very hurried and maybe yes. a longer version was needed just to actually build up the universe a bit more uh, there. But I, I guess we'll never know because they've never done a, a director's cut or there are some deleted scenes on the Blu-ray, but they're not, I did watch them. They're not great. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, so and I guess I don't think the Wachowskis have ever done a, like a director's extended cut of anything because I think what they put out, they have final cut on their films. Um, I think what they put out is actually the director's cut. So, um, so I don't know. I, I sort of, I'd love more. Um, for me, though, it feels like this film is already about three films worth of plot. I think you could really yeah. easily split this story up into you know, like a trilogy. And, and it feels like Star Wars is also one of the, the sort of, you know, touchstones of their influence for, for this movie um, anyway. So it feels like it maybe should have just been a trilogy of films, but doing the same story just in a bit more detail, uh, maybe maybe a bit better. Yeah, I recently um, went on the, um, what was, was it the Harry Potter studio tour? And I can't remember which of the directors of the one of the films. Uh, it was for the Goblet of fire and um he was um in one of the little uh, tv screens sat there going that 
the studio wanted the film to be made uh, over two, the book to be made into two films. And he's like, we can't do that. There's a lot of incident in the book, but there isn't a lot of story in the book. So it needs to be one film. We, we could lose incident. We, we shouldn't lose story. and We can't stretch the story. Um, it feels like this film is the exact opposite of that. There is a, so much story crammed in it. It could be like 10 films. Um, and then there's only a couple of incidents that kind of break up this huge, long story that we seem to be sort of being pulled through. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't hate this film. That's for sure. It, it when I'm watching it, it reminds, it does, like you say, it, it touches on a few films that you kind of known and loved or hated. Because it, to me, it's very much got a, a very much of a, a Flash Gordon feel to it, um, in terms of that sort of like grandiose spectacle. It's not going dark and dour. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's bright and vibrant. Um, the, the designs of the sort of spaceships and palaces and costume design and everything like that is, um, is, is something to behold. And I imagine, like you say, if your first uh, foray into this world is on the front row of an IMAX, having this stuff pursed into your eyebrows, then um, that probably explains a lot for your love of this film. Yeah, absolutely. And I think just because uh, at the time, I mean, even now it's the same, but at the time, a lot of the big studio tent poles were, you know, there was a lot of great stuff, but it was all very samey. Like, I think there was a lot of Marvel and DC types of films there. And, and I think this was the year that, uh, was it the year that Force Awakens opened maybe? Later in the year, uh, right. before this. So it was before Star Wars, but since then we've had a steady stream of Star Wars sci-fi. Um, and it just felt kind of totally different to anything else that was on this scale being released like this in IMAX uh, and with these big stars, all that sort of stuff. Uh, so I sort of gave it extra points, I think, just for kind of how original it was and kind of how bananas it was. I feel like maybe some of the, the sort of larger IPs are protected by very sensible people yeah. who don't let, um, you know, the crazy kind of rise up. Uh, but I, I think with the Wachowskis, it's like, they're the Wachowskis. We can't say no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sure, Sean Bean plays a bee. That's fine. And he doesn't die. Uh, he doesn't die. <laughs> <laughs> I think the film makes a reference to it when they get to the end. Doesn't he say something like, uh, you made it or something? Yeah. It's like a very <laughs> knowing Sean Bean sort of line. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's good. Um, yeah, and we should support these films. I mean, like, uh, if um, a friend of the podcast, uh, Kragos, actually pointed out once when we were um, not being particularly kind to Valerian, um, is that it, you have to support these films because if we, if we, you know, if they, they, they aim high and they fell horribly or they aim high and they fell a little bit, is that at least they aimed, you know, the, yeah. they, they, they tried to be something different. They didn't just, you know, get the, uh, the cookie cutter out and then make another movie and, do a fair to middling amount of money out of it. You know, they try and they fail and they should be applauded for doing so. Absolutely. Actually, Valerian has very major Jupiter ascending vibes. Yes, it's incredibly similar when you watch it. It's kind of hard not to sort of merge the two if you've watched them too close together. Um, I do have some questions that you may be able to answer as a, as a, as a, as a fan of the films. Um, what is it with the bees and... <laughs> <laughs> and her is there what was the i i seem to have missed something and in my mind i remember the scene with the bees and her and i i can't remember why those two things are relevant matt this is very simple bees <laughs> can sense royalty that's it that's that's all there is to it 
The Wachowskis right. say it very clearly. <laughs> okay. So it's just like a thing. It's like, ah, look, royal. <laughs> didn't you know that bees can sense royalty? I didn't. Uh, I think you have to go into the film. The Wachowskis made this film with the understanding that the audiences who would go to watch it knew that fact. That is an actual, just a fact. So the Wachowskis have capitalized on the, the, the sort of hive mind of civilization, knowing right. that, that bees can sense royalty. <laughs> At uh, least that's how the, that's what Sean Bean says in the movie. <laughs> so does Sean Bean's character have the bees in an attempt to, you know, check everyone that comes to his house to see if they're royalty or not? Is it just a happy coincidence? So I think because Sean Bean has been spliced with a bee, Sean Bean's uh, character is a splice, um, yes. who are humans who've been genetically modified for some reason uh, <laughs> with one particular animal. And, and uh, a lot of the splices, they're all spliced with different animals uh, yep. there. But Sean Bean is called Stinger. And uh, believe it or not, he is spliced with a bee. <laughs> Wait, if um, you had the ability to splice a human being with an other animal, would the bee <laughs> be your first choice? I mean, obviously, you know, Cain um, Wise is, is, is a, spliced with a wolf, right? Or is he yes. just a, a lichen kind of guy? So he's spliced with a wolf. Would you not pick something else, like a bear? Like before I don't know the, how much the bee uh, they get to pick, on. though, I, I, I think. I guess, I mean, I wonder if he was called Stinger already. We don't know. Right. Um, was he called Stinger at birth? And then he was like, well, it'd be weird if I spliced with a raccoon. <laughs> a <trout. laughs> Better go for the bee. Uh, <laughs> so I don't know. Was his parents, did he come from a long line of bees? And his parents then spliced him with a bee. There's a lot of... Um, there's a lot of unanswered questions here, which is why I think we needed that extra long um, cut, the original version. But, um, but, uh, but no, I, I just think, I wonder if the Wachowskis are just thinking, you know, well, we need something to say that she's actually queen of the whole universe, the, the Mila Kunis character, uh, Jupiter. And, uh, and well, bees, they have queens, right? So why don't we use that? <laughs> I mean, now you say it out loud, I feel stupid <laughs> for not realizing this in the first place. I would sort of like to think that that's how the Wachowskis write, because they also write together. All of their screenplays are written and directed by Wachowskis. And I just wonder if they have these sort of out loud conversations and then they make it into these million dollar movies. <laughs> yeah. And I, I guess they're at that stage now where they then get, you know, people in the room, tell them and just wait for them to nod. <laughs> if that makes sense. Right. And they're like, uh, yeah, totally. And well, because then... your, your question is absolutely valid. And maybe yeah, in the pitch meeting, um, you know, there's an executive in a room who's like, well, so I just want to know about the bee thing. But then if Wachowski's with a straight face can then say, you know, bees are genetically designed to recognize royalty. You're like, yeah, they, they probably know their stuff. Uh, I'd like to think at that point, what they then did was produce a jar of bees, <clears throat> release them into the room. At which point the bees just meandered around being bees and didn't check, you know, gravitate to anyone in particular. And then they asked the question, is anyone in here? royal to which obviously they'd all answer no and then they could go see <laughs> see the bees no because they didn't go towards you in a big flock had you all been <laughs> royal or one of you been royal then it would have been exactly like we depicted on screen i think um i think yeah like they, they also like sean bean's character is uh he's an alien effectively living on earth you know incognito as a stinger uh in his shack so maybe earth bees are like you know, they, they can just talk to him because he's a big space bee. You know, maybe there's a common bee language. <laughs> yeah. Because just just... his house is full of bees, yeah. which is weird. <laughs> They're just kind of hanging out, having a chat. 
Uh, I think that is that is exactly what the Wachowskis thought. <laughs> Um, the other thing that also sticks in mind is uh, right at the beginning, she goes to, to sell her eggs to buy money for a telescope because, you know, she's born for space. Um, and uh, then, like, she gets kind of like the, pe- the people in the clinic aren't, uh, they're not doctors, they're aliens and they're going to kill her. Were they just waiting? I mean, did, is it genetically responsible? This person, she's a genetic reincarnation. Do they always give up their eggs at some point? Or are, are we there to believe there are hundreds of people waiting in clinics around the world everywhere just in case <laughs> well i i i think i think you need to go with the film on some of this stuff so what happens january jones uh, january jones uh, jupiter jones um uh, which is mila kunis's character um her family she lives in a, a big family and they all seem to live in one house they they're clearly you know sort of quite low down on on the poverty uh, run and yep. um, they don't have a lot of cash. They have a family cleaning business, uh, cleaning rich people's houses. And and I guess there's a couple of like the the uncle and the cousin seem to be quite wheeler dealer characters at the head of the family who are trying to sort of make money at any cost. And yeah, they they uh, the cousin suggests that she should sell her own eggs um, so she can then get a third of the payment uh, <laughs> from the from the cousin, um, which is sort of not really dealt with, but it sort of gives you a picture, I guess, that the family are not very nice to Jupiter. Um, but Jupiter is, I mean, she's queen of the universe, so she's quite noble. But at that point in the film, all she wants to do is buy a telescope, which just happens to be about $5,000 on eBay. So I guess she doesn't put up much of an argument. It's a weird, it's a weird note. Um, yeah, and I'm sure <laughs> cheaper telescopes are available. I mean, I'm no big telescope guy, don't get me wrong. But like surely other telescopes i mean she could have started smaller pair of binoculars for 20 quid (laughs) have to go straight to the selling of eggs for the big one off of ebay which by the time she's got her money it's probably going to be the auctions over right Uh, well i I mean we don't know we don't know how quick the cash transfer is going to be on the on and or how long the auction has left maybe it was just sort of it's so overpriced and it's a buy it now no one's ever going to actually pay that much money but it's very similar to the one that her dad james darcy had at the beginning of the film so she's she's okay with it um i think i think i guess the the egg plot point um because it is a really horrible thing that the cousin is doing to her Yeah, yeah i think it's really just there to sort of shorthand tell the audience that the family are like absolutely horrendous and she's not really loved uh by by anyone in this extended family her mum really likes her um that comes through but the rest of the family around that dinner table scene they're all being really horrible to her yeah uh, which so, means they're like so, uh, ex- expendable and discardable so there's like they're, they're expendable it doesn't matter if they get you know absolutely uh nobbled by the giant space crocodiles and um and it also means that she's not really leaving anything behind if she did go to be queen of the universe um yeah. so it's sort of like you know she's like a cinderella type character there she's being mistreated uh by all of her extended family um, so I, I guess, but it is a weirdly specific sort of thing to do. But the Wachowskis do stuff like that, and yeah. uh, it's stuff that we've never seen on screen before. A woman being exploited by for her eggs in a mass <laughs> entertainment Hollywood picture. So she could buy a telescope. So she <laughs> could buy a we, telescope. We can't leave that point out. It's not like you know, for for a, for a father's heart or <laughs> anything truly noble. Uh, there's that weird like um, extended sort of plot line where she poses as her friend or, or what, someone whose house she cleans uh, yeah. played by Vanessa Kirby um, who, who, who yeah, who, so she has her name when she goes in and the 
it starts with the aliens trying to kidnap Vanessa Kirby and then they realize they have the wrong person. It's very odd. I, I'm not really sure why that's all in the film, but it does mean we get to see more aliens, which is always good. It is, and we get like the, you know, the very traditional gray, uh, gray man alien, the sort of bulbous head ones, and you're like, ah. Yeah, that, I quite enjoyed that, and it's sort of like... Wrong. Yeah, exactly. The Wachowskis are saying, you know, actually, you know, there's a, there's a big universe out there, but the uh, the grey sort of uh, big-headed fellas, they're um, they're sort of the ones that are used to spying because they can change shape and they can go invisible and all that sort of stuff. And that's maybe why people on Earth have seen that type of alien before. Yeah, uh, not the not the B type of alien, the human, <laughs> the Sean Bean type B alien. Yeah, who who looks remarkably human despite being half half B. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think they say half uh, wow. there. Uh, we don't see any bee-like traits from him, but he maybe if he takes his t-shirt bees. off, he has like a really fluffy, fluffy. Yeah, that's true, actually. Yeah, <laughs> because Channing Tatum is supposed to be playing an albino wolf type character, and yeah. and he, I mean, he has pointy ears. <laughs> it's quite a subtle uh, splice uh, there, um, and and so wing they, holes. Yeah, well, that's different. So the uh, whilst you're a splice of an animal, I think it's like a sign of rank if you have wings. Right. So it's not part of the splicing. It's not. I don't. Yeah, I don't think the alien scientists are like you're going to be just like a wolf. You have pointy ears and some wings. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think Sean the wolf. I think um, I think there is some sort of expository dialogue with Sean Bean and Channing Tatum talking to to Mila Kunis, saying like, you know, he did something and he lost his wings. It's a bit like it's a Wonderful Life in that respect. Yeah, yeah. Apart from no one's ringing the bell. So I, I did read um, for the uh, for the plaudits of this film. Um, it has been sort of grabbed um, uh, as a alternative sort of feminist action icon. Um, what's been labelled at sort of female action icons in the past is that they're just male action icons. They just happen to be female. They're just you know performing the same role. They're just basically Arnold Schwarzenegger running around, but it's a woman. Um, whereas in this, the sort of heroine character um, deals with situations in a feminine way and in you know dealing with empathy and stuff like that, rather than just you know suddenly remembering they're a ninja assassin and can kick people in the face quite a bit. Um, so that was, after reading that, I sort of thought about the film. It's like, actually, that is true. It, it is quite a unique char- um, lead character in that respect. And it's also like, um, I guess uh, she is flung into situations which are very much sort of issues that women throughout the whole of history have had to deal with like being married off um you know to someone who doesn't really have her best interests in in the front of her mind and that and that comes up uh, a fair bit in the film how she just sort of gets passed around these awful uh, siblings um the abrasics family who yeah. own the universe it seems and are only interested in grinding up humans to have the elixir of life uh when you say it out loud it sounds very reasonable um, <laughs> There. But yeah, no, I think she, um, I, I, I do think the Wachowskis are good at writing all sorts of characters, but I think they do have a particularly good angle on, on female characters. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, I, I mean, I'm not sure if, uh, like, it's not full of sort of, you know, standout moments like that, but I just think like generally running through it, um, they are, they're doing a pretty good job with the Jupiter character. Uh, in the movie and, and actually giving her a reason uh, and, a, and a good motivation for for this story. Just reading through the uh, the trivia for the film here on IMDb. 
one that jumps out is that uh, Mila Kunis's character, Jupiter Joan, asks 105 questions in the film. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you would though, wouldn't you? <laughs> you start well, the film cleaning toilets <laughs> in uh, Chicago, and then you uh, you low, end up right? being queen of the universe. Um, I'd have some questions. Oh yeah, I think I think 105 is the barest minimum you could get away with <laughs> uh, in terms of going from yeah from like uh, from any job. Like let's just face it, it's not easy to be a toilet cleaner. That's kind of irrelevant at this point. From that to suddenly suddenly realizing aliens are real <laughs> one of the aliens trying to kill you whilst you're giving trying to give away your eggs another alien coming in on sky rollerblades and pulling you away from that flying through the air then meeting a family of people and some dragons there's some dragons with wings knocking about as well uh <laughs> yeah. finding a, a half man half bee who tells you then queen of the universe <laughs> um and then, you know, trying to get married off to one of those weird people that you met earlier, finding out that all they do is crush people to make a, a youth elixir. Um, yeah, I think 105 questions is is quite reserved. That was a very good plot summary as well. There's a lot of plot in this in this film. Let's <laughs> say so you could easily, like for like half the for the first fifteen minutes of this film, make another film out of the the points that are raised here. Um, it, just the backstory and quite a lot of it. Ha! <laughs> no, I, I, and I would watch that. I would enjoy it. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned the space dragons. I was referring to them as crocodiles, but you're right. They are probably because they are dragons. They have wings. Uh, there, I, I quite like those as villains. Again, like that's a great Wachowski device. Like they, they just need henchmen. They could be goons. They could be stormtrooper types. But no, yes. they're hugely complicated CGI, giant, um, you know, like double the size of people, uh, dragons that talk. And there's not just like one of them. There's a whole army of them. And the money it must have gone into sort of animating those, all of these things, which are effectively elaborate henchmen. Yeah. I, I love, I really, really love. <laughs> it is good. Um, we, we can't go the whole entire... Um interview about this film without talking about Eddie Redmayne and his character in this. Uh, could you bring up a few points to maybe describe him in this film? So Eddie Redmayne uh, is the lead villain in this movie and I think it was just after he won his Oscar yep. in terms of like this was the next film you could see him in and I think this film was in cinemas whilst The Theory of Everything for which he won his Oscar was also still playing at the tail end of its run so you could have gone from his Oscar winning performance in one screen and then zipped into the next screen and seen him in Jupiter Ascending, uh, playing the villain to end all villains. Uh, it's really, really something. So he is the lead evil sibling in yep. the Abrasics family uh, there. His name is Balem, or Balem. can't remember how they pronounce it. Balem Abrasics. Oh, and he's got an evil... <laughs> well, he's got a brother played by Douglas Booth and a sister played by Tuppence Middleton. And um, the story of the, the film is it's a bit like uh, Goldilocks and the Three Bears. Uh, yeah. She gets passed around um, these three bears and, and ends up uh, Eddie Redmayne, who's the big bad. And he is... I think he's giving... He thinks he's giving his sort of Marlon Brando um, Apocalypse Now... Uh, you know, sort of thing. Like, I'm really going to do it. I'm going to, I'm going to put on a voice. Oh yeah, he's acting. Like, I'm going to, I'm going to act. I'm going to be a villain. I don't know if Eddie Redmayne had previously played a, a villain, but I think he'd all of. I think a lot of actors enjoy doing the villain. 
and I think he was like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna become an iconic villain. I get to really, really, really act. I had to do lots of subtle acting in Fury of Everything. And now I'm just gonna let loose. <laughs> and, and he's got this weird affectation with his voice where he says a lot of things quiet and, and, and then the odd word loud. And it reminds me of a line in The Simpsons uh, where I think Krusty the Clown's like, ah, you said the loud part quiet and the quiet part loud. <laughs> and, and he does that a lot. So he'll sort of murmur really quietly uh, in this weirdly affected voice to all of his henchmen. And then just the odd word, um, he'll, he'll, he'll shout and he'll do his like Royal Shakespeare Company sort of thing, um, like spitting and everything. And he's yeah. doing all of this whilst being totally topless, uh, wearing uh, like a leather cape and some leather trousers and lounging on a space um, like, like sofa, uh, which has little hover legs. Uh, and it's really is something to behold. <laughs> I mean, not just Eddie Redbane's character in this. I mean, I think if, you know, Sofaland wanted to bring out a new range, like there is top class lounging in this film. Like every time she walks to real room, there's someone else lounging in a new and fantastical way. Uh, but yeah, Eddie Redmayne just absolutely chooses. He's, he's King Lounger. He's King Lounger. He, he can't, he can't be any more loungy. <laughs> it was just like, and it's a funny. It's a really funny one. I'm actually a bit disappointed with Eddie Redmayne though, because I, I quite like this film and I've heard Eddie Redmayne in other interviews when, interviewers think they've snookered him because they're going to bring up Jupiter Ascending. He's always yeah. quite dismissive of it. I'm like, well, Eddie, no, you're acting your socks off, mate. You should own it. You should yeah, this, absolutely own it. You know, this is you the did best a great you've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't a big fan on your disappointed questions, friend, uh, films questions, friend. I wasn't a big fan of Theory of Everything. Um, so if I had just seen that, I would say that would be a disappointment. Whereas this, you know, had no expectations and I had a blast. <laughs> I also like the way that Eddie Wynn doesn't actually look at anyone directly in this film. It's all just furtive side glances at very best, which, you know, he should be, he should be confident. He's like semi-ruler semi of the universe. Yeah, he, um, he's, yeah, you're right. He can just sort of gesture and then an army of crocodiles will come in and save the day or um, they'll start torturing uh, Jupiter's mum on a, like a weird torture device or something. And it's all just these very sort of like subtle gestures by the side of his body. And I yes. was just thinking like, oh God, imagine if you missed that and the trouble you'd be in. <laughs> it's like, did you not see my very clear subtle gesture to start torturing the mother? Uh, and, and that happened, that was what I was thinking on this last watch. <laughs> Or if a bee kind of went near his face, he went to swat, because he's royal, right? So they're, they're going to be, they're going to be drawn to him. And he went to swat it away and then inadvertently calls death upon several of the people to the right hand side of him. Exactly. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a workplace nightmare. <laughs> all, that, all that sort of stuff. Um, I think he does a good job. Safety posters up. Eddie Redmayne has the distinct air of this uh, in this film of never being with any of the other actors <laughs> in real life because he's always in his own little throne room. There, there are some scenes with Mila Kunis, I guess, but but largely the action takes place of him sort of uh, yeah, just in his own sort of like CGI uh, creation. So I do wonder yeah. if he uh, he sort of just filmed his bits quickly after doing Fury of Everything. Or, or I, I guess a lot of the time he'd have just been sat there staring at tennis balls on sticks and wondering why no one was applauding heartily to his softly <laughs> loud loud maybe that's why he did it it was just like well he's the only one on stage so he's like i better i gotta really deliver you know i gotta do a lot of acting just taking my shirt off isn't enough i really need to go for it um, but i think it sort of works i mean what's nice is that it's um it's sort of a unique villain we haven't seen a villain quite like him and we haven't seen one since uh, quite like that um, he's not doing 
sort of a typical villain performance? No, definitely, definitely not. No, that's something you wouldn't recognise directly off the bat as being <laughs> Mr. Villain, that's for sure. Any final thoughts? Uh, any final selling points to try and save the film from Bunker Geddon, which is staying in the bunker? I, I mean, I think I've, we've sold the film very well with just with the plot description. Um, I guess there's two, two things, two key things that we've missed. One is the incredible music from Michael Giacchino, yes. who has gone on to do music for things like Jurassic World, Doctor Strange, uh, Rogue One. Uh, and and you know, he's got a whole body of Pixar work behind him and all that great stuff. But he's done two Wachowski films. He also did Speed Racer. And, uh, and, and I think his scores are really, really inventive. He's a great musician. And I love that he's turned in a proper sort of like suite to, uh, to work alongside the space opera. I, I listen to the soundtrack quite a lot uh, on Spotify and uh, I'd hi- highly recommend it. Uh, I had a very fun evening watching Michael Giacchino in concert once and he was doing like his greatest hits basically. Yeah. And, uh, and it was me and my friend who also saw the film at the IMAX together. We were like, well, he'll play some great music. He's a good guy. There's no way he'll do Jupiter Ascending. <laughs> and he did two tracks from Jupiter Ascending. And, and we went insane. It was so good. So exciting uh, there. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that he likes the film enough to put it into his live concerts. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when you like the sort of production value, the score and the, the, the special effects, there is nothing wrong with that in this film at all. There's no, there's no, no one that could go into this and say that looks awful or that sounds bad because it just simply it, would not be true. It's perfectly presented, the whole thing. You're right, from the production design to the costumes, so many costumes, so, so many. many. Yeah. It feels like old Star Wars with like loads of extras just wearing weird stuff. <laughs> uh, and, I, and I really like that. But in here, it's not weird stuff. It's beautifully tailored, really ornate. Like the costume budget must have been half of the the, the spending on this film. Uh, there, so so that's one thing, Giacchino. And my other thing is Douglas Booth's space orgy, <laughs> like that character. So he's the indulgent younger brother who's sort of living life large, um, very extravagant, and it just introduces his character at one point in a space orgy. That's the only <laughs> way to describe it. He is naked with loads of naked other people, and they're in this sort of like zero gravity bubble yeah um, having a lovely time and they get rudely interrupted so the story can carry on um (laughs) at some point but again it's like the wachowskis have thought you know when they're writing how do we we have to introduce this character um i think his name is titus Uh, we have to introduce titus titus is indulgent how do we tell the audience a space orgy (laughs) not just a regular (laughs) orgy we could do that but we're the wachowskis we have a blank check what what would a space orgy look like can we do a zero g orgy scene and they do and they yeah. put it into a 12A rated picture. <laughs> yes, it's a, it's a, it's a wall-mounted zero-G space orgy, right? So it's like full-on. As you walk in, there's no privacy. You can see everybody. It's like a well, I think in, on, um, on his hedonistic sort of ship, because that's, that's Titus, this classic Titus, um, <laughs> they, uh, that, that's just what they do. Everybody walks around naked and they have a space orgy. Um, so yeah, so it was quite, I mean, I did not expect to see uh, zero G uh, orgy scene in in this movie, and uh, and there it was, right there in IMAX. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> another reason why I imagine that was a, a massive selling point for you. Um, yeah, that should be probably on the poster. Um, <laughs> fe- feature zero G space orgy. 
Yeah, not enough um, is said about that. I mean, it is a really inventive sex scene. And the Wachowskis have tried uh, sex scenes in the past, some done very well in Bound and some done not very well in Matrix Revolutions. Uh, or is it Matrix Reloaded? It's one of the Matrix sequels. So There's a terrible sex scene uh, in, in Reloaded, that, Neo and Trinity. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I feel like this is them going, okay, we couldn't put a sex scene in Speed Racer. I don't think there's a sex scene in Cloud Atlas, but Jupiter Ascending, we're going to do, we're going to make up for the Reloaded, the Matrix Reloaded sex scene. That's we're the sweaty, do it properly. sweaty drum scene, right? It yeah, it's not, um, it's quite it, sweaty. <laughs> sweaty and drummy. There's like, it keeps getting, you know, someone's in the party, they're having sex. Someone's in the party, it's they're a classic, sex. Yeah, it's that classic cross-cutting between yeah. something else. Um, <laughs> so, so, you know, when the song ends and everybody cheers, that's the end of the sex scene. But it's one of those weird uh, sex scenes where the other thing looks more sexy than the sex bit. <laughs> it's like, oh, <laughs> no, that's weird. That's strange. <laughs> I don't think Keanu, on a massive tangent, I don't think Keanu is very good at sex scenes, full stop. Like, he's more of a, he's just like, he's like an action man, isn't he? So, I don't know, I don't really buy it. He feels more like a utensil than a a person. (laughs) I do imagine him being completely smooth down below. Not that I've thought about that much before. Anyway, um, (laughs) moving swiftly on then. Okay, I think we probably now do just in there. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, uh, and um, as guests uh, we always give them the, the, the leeway so we will allow Jupiter Ascending out of the bunker free to roam the world and um, teach people about how to splice man and bee together um, so it is free free in the world it's taught us something hugely valuable in that bees can sense royalty so if a bee comes and stings you that's a good thing <laughs> yes yes indeed <laughs> Cool. Okay. Well, thank you very much for your time today, Sam. Can you tell us where to find you online? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm often found on, on Twitter. You can find me at Sam underscore Clements. Sam Clements was taken and, and annoyingly, <laughs> the guy's an egg. He doesn't use it, but he's got it. Um, so I've got the underscore, which is cool. I take it as a sign of um, they're gonna When they're going to pull back the eggs at some point? And so you just can't I, I heard this, but I haven't been able to claim my, my Sam egg. Uh, it's a great shame. <laughs> but um, you can also find me on the uh, at 90 Minutes, uh, at 90 Min Film Fest Twitter account, which is the account for our 90 Minutes or Less film festival podcast or if you just go onto your podcatcher which you're probably listening to this on and search for 90 minute film fest um then then please do and, and have a listen it's a it's a real passion project uh, so it's always nice when people people download it and have a listen brilliant thank you very much for your time today sam and um have a good day cool thanks matt oh great chat matt yep uh, sam clements has a, a real love for the film this much was true and clear uh, that came through for it. So um, and it's nice speaking to someone that actually really does care about the film. Yeah. So that was nice. That means I don't have to rewatch it again to, to do the review, which I'm disappointed. I might just watch it for fun. It, I mean, like it is, it's, it's entirely <laughs> worth watching because it is, it is fucking insane. There is no two ways about it. And um, it's, yeah, I mean, I, we, we drilled into it obviously in the interview a bit, um, but there's various bits of it, which make literally, no sense to it. I know science fiction films don't need to make sense, but once you, you know, look at them under a magnifying glass, it, it's just nuts. But yeah. it's it's pretty to look at. There's no denying that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, the Eddie Redmayne contrast between this and yeah, the theory of everything. Yeah, it's, yeah. That is insane because it's like the same year the films came out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it happened. To, the same thing happened to um, Eddie Murphy when he did. Uh, Nor- is it Norbert or something where he did that? Norbert, yeah. No, and he, and he had like another film, and he it can, it can actually 
ruin an actor's career because he does something it's a so bow bonkers. Bowfinger, as well as something. That was a, that was a good Eddie Murphy film, Bowfinger. Um, but yeah, uh, is is Sean Bean? Is he made of bees, or is he? What is he like? A bee no, he's man? splice. He's a splice. He's right he's half bee. <laughs> <laughs> But with no oh. obvious bee-like elements. I always imagine that his penis is just <laughs> a stinger. <laughs> because oh, the, other, the other guy's like half wolf, right? And he's got like little pointy ears and kind of feral looking. Whereas you like yes. looking at Sean Bean and going, Sean Bean. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> and you're looking at him going, where is the spicy part of it? But yeah, so yes. I, I, I can only imagine it's mostly tucked into his underpants. He just takes his trousers down. He's got a stripy, black and yellow stripy legs or something. Yeah, like fluffy, oh. like a big yeah. fluffy mid mid <laughs> yeah, yeah, he said, you never saw that comment, <laughs> did you? <laughs> Razzies time. Let's talk Razzies. about Razzies. Yeah. So the Razzies this year uh, looks pretty exciting. And I think, well, to be honest with you, this is a lot of these movies now that we're doing, we've been doing the podcast for two years, more or less. There are a lot of these movies that come up. We're actually we're watching them as well. Uh, so we'll go through some of the, the, the main sort of uh, categories as well. We won't do every single nomination because that would take a long time and no one's got time for that shit. No. So worst picture. Yes. I'll just give you the, 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 biggie, the, isn't it? the biggest one, which is cats, obviously. Uh, uh, is, there, is there any point going further? Because <laughs> yeah. there is no one at nothing else winning yeah. anything at the Razzies this year. Yeah, I think that's going to just pretty much take it home. Uh, a film called Fanatic with John Travolta, which I don't think's come out in the UK yet. Uh, no. Uh, it looks pretty good. The Haunting of Sharon Tate, which is another movie I don't think's come out in the UK or probably won't come out in the UK, knowing the knowing is nominated for a Razzie. Uh, a Madia Family Funeral, which I've not heard of, but I've seen a poster of. Um, Rambo First Blood. Um, so they're the worst pictures. Rambo first. I've seen any of them actually? Sorry, Rambo last blood, not first last blood. blood. That first bloody blood good. good. Yeah. So worst actor, um, uh, Matt. You take worst actors. Yeah. So the worst actor, um, James Franco. It, for this time, it's for zero bill, but it could be for literally any fucking thing he's been in. Um, yeah. David Harbour as Hellboy, which we have done. He was the best thing in that. So if he wins, I think that, that's that's harsh. It David is harsh. Harbour's good in that. Yeah. Matthew McConaughey in Serenity. That's one you wanted to do, didn't you? You, you, you had that one on the list. Yes, it is, yes. Still uh, Sylvester time. Stallone for Rambo Last Blood. Again, that might be a bit tricky because, you know, it, he's playing Rambo. I mean, what do you want from him? And John yeah. Travolta um, from The Fanatic and Trading Paint as Moose and Samurai. So, yeah, John Travolta, um, no stranger to a Razzie, John Travolta. No, he's, he's uh, well, basically, I think he does it for the Razzies, doesn't he, old John? <laughs> uh, worst actress, you've got Hilary Duff for The Haunting of Sharon Tate, as we mentioned earlier on, Anne Hathaway for The Hustle and Serenity, The Hustle being one of our favourite movies of the year. Uh, Francesca, <laughs> uh, Francesca Hayward for Cats, which I think is a bit mean, because I think that was her breakout role. Um, so that that's a bit harsh, considering she was a newcomer to films. It's like an introducing... Francesca hey, Hayward. Pick them while they're uh, coming up, right? <laughs> Tyler Perry for the Madia family funeral and Rebel Wilson for the hustle, which is again a bit harsh because she's just being Rebel Wilson. Yeah, I mean, obviously we had the whole discussion on the hustle podcast about the hustle. I, I think it's a little unfair for that film. 
Okay, so we'll, we'll skip worst supporting actor and actress. Yeah, the other and... things. Uh, worst prequel, remake, ripoff, or squeaks, squeakle, <laughs> sequel. Squeakle. Well, uh, weirdly, it was the Chipmunks was a squeakle. They did a squeakle, didn't they? <laughs> That's correct. Uh, yeah, this yeah. is a. I think this is a new uh, category for them, I believe. So the worst, yeah, yeah. worst remake. So what, what have we got on that one? Now this is weird, right? Considering the previous nominations for Anne Hathaway and Rebel Wilson for The Hustle, and I believe, was it in the thingy book? No, it wasn't, but um, in it's not in here, which you'd think as a rip-off remake, then it would yeah. be like uh, nailed on in this category. doesn't feature. You've got Dark Phoenix, which I still haven't seen, and I'm mm. um, a big X-Men fan, so that's... Um, basically all the reviews have put me off that so i'm quite looking forward to watching that because i'm pretty sure i'll be horribly disappointed because i normally now because there used to be a time where i used to watch a film that was horribly panned and generally would be like oh, actually it wasn't as bad as they say and would enjoy it but now because i've had that i've double bluffed myself into thinking this was horribly panned it can't be that bad and then it actually be, turns out to be actually correctly fucking awful does that make sense it makes perfect sense to me. I'm not sure about the listeners, but it's fine. I'm used to your babbling. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> so yeah, Dark Phoenix, Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Not seen it. Want to see that? Um, Hellboy. Yeah. We have seen. It is. It isn't a great remake. Uh, Medea Family Funeral. No idea what that's a remake from. Um, Rambo: Last Blood, which obviously is in the sequels section of that. Yeah, it makes sense. Worst reckless disregard for human life and public property, <laughs> which is a new category for 2019. So Dragged Across Concrete was one of these uh, movies that was supposed to be quite gritty and critically, a little bit critically claimed last year. Yeah. Um, I've not seen it. You've got The Haunting of Sharon Tate. I'm obviously not sure what goes on there. Hellboy. Yes, yeah, there's obviously lots of destruction of property there because they, they go around killing a lot of uh, London. Uh, Joker, which has caused a lot of controversy because obviously joker is one of the standout movies of the last of last year and yeah. uh, it's nominated for a razzie rambo last blood as well they've got another category which i just want to touch on because i thought it was quite interesting which is the razzie redeemer award yeah i saw so this is previous losers or razzie winners rather that have redeemed themselves with like follow-up films that are good so you've got eddie yeah. murphy who did the dolomite is my name movie on the netflix movie which I've, i want to try and catch because there's Apparently, it's supposed to be very good and dripping with uh, with nostalgia and things like it's that. It's interesting that Kenny Reeves is on here as well for John Wick and Toy Story 4 because he's redeemed himself many years ago for whatever film. He, I mean, like he has done some stinkers, yeah. but like John Wick, since John Wick 1 has been brilliant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Adam Sandler, Uncut Gems. That film is in fucking tense. It's, it's too much for me, man. Yeah, I, was... I, sat, I sat and watched it with Gemma, uh, the wife, and it was uh, crazy. I don't understand a lot of what was going on. I just thought, two hours shouting and bad decisions. <laughs> well, it just did it remind, reminded me of a couple of things that when I've sent emails and I've done stuff, done stuff in work, and I thought this is getting worse. <laughs> How do I get myself out of this? Oh dear! When you when you send, click send and you try and you try try to unsend. Uh, oh, I never email. try and unsend. Just own that, own that shit. Don't. Yeah, well, I've done unsend. that a few times. Uh, Jennifer Lopez for Hustlers because apparently she's a standout in that movie. Yeah, Will Smith for Aladdin. He was alright in it. The CGI wasn't great in that, so I think that that film's fine. But I mean, anyone but bloody Guy Ritchie. Guy Ritchie uh, is not really got a dab hand on 
he's not very good at directing like big set piece dance routines. I don't know how I feel about the whole Disney live action remaking stuff. I'm not. I'm not we, sure. I'm not we sure. About, we talked about this uh, in one of our um, best uh, top five. Top fives, yeah, top five yeah. films to to maybe do. I think so. The the Little Mermaid's coming. Uh, that's cast and ready for shooting. Bambi's coming. Oh, isn't there internet? Uh, isn't there an internet outpour because it's not a white girl in Little Mermaid? Oh, for fuck's sake! Yeah, there was <laughs> there was a fucking. I mean, I mean, I think Melissa McCarthy's playing Ursula, and she, you know she's not an octopus. So I mean, fuck, and Jesus Christ! Yeah, I mean the octopuses um, are beside themselves with that one. Yeah, it's utterly ridiculous. Um, but aren't they doing Bambi? And then there's another one. They're it's doing cuttlefish appropriation. Yeah, Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, Tangled is the other one they're looking to do, which is weird. Well, that's just but, Rapunzel. Yeah, uh, so they're, confused. So they're doing they're doing all of the films uh, basically. So, yeah, we did actually point out, I think, in our top five that it was only a matter of time before they're all done. Yeah, it will be. And if, let's just see how it goes. But I mean, Christ. I mean, if it's a new audience for the new film, you know, I mean, we're living in a time where money is in these studios. Are just they're just hemorrhaging cash they just want to spend it and make more money and i guess you know the, the art form of some of those old disney movies is is probably dated and, and isn't necessarily going to bring new i don't know new audiences i suppose yeah. and people are wanting new and exciting things to look at so it seems inevitable uh the big behemoth that is, like, is it and is it i wonder if it's cheaper than making cgi movies these days because like, i guess to you know, you've got all these properties. You either make sequels, which they did. I mean, for most of the Disney films, there are, uh, you know, several uh, cheaply made sequels or cartoon series. So they, they they kind of shot themselves in the proverbial foot for yeah, making, yeah. making the sequels. So their only chances to remake them, and you can't just remake the cartoon. That feels fucking insane. So they've obviously hit upon this strategy of tapping into um, a quality shy. Uh, generation where they're like i don't want to watch aladdin because it's only a 2d hand-drawn cartoon mostly there are some cg elements actually in yeah, aladdin. yeah i think it was one of the first ones to do that um and 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 yeah literally just quite remorselessly taking our cash i mean the lion king was an almost one for one remake it was entirely shot, for point- shot wasn't it yeah entirely yeah. pointless okay so there's the razzies there's there's, a- just before you go before we i'm leave not going razzie, i'm just saying it's cats <laughs> Cats nine. Cats is the winner. <laughs> cats is, is one at all. Every category that Cats is in, is in there. Worst director, yep. Tom Hooper. Cats, going to win it. Worst yeah. picture, Cats, going to win it. <laughs> Worst actor. No one from Cats in it. That could be anybody. Worst yeah. actress. Oh, Francesca Hayward. That'd be harsh. Um, there, there, was one, there was one... Um... Worst screen combo, Jason Derulo yes. and his CGI neutered bulge. <laughs> the, the other one as well was uh, John Travolta and any screenplay he accepts. <laughs> and Cats yeah, actually got a nomination for any two half feline, half human hairballs. So, yeah, Cats is going to sweep the board, I fear. And thus making me more excited to see it. Yeah, I know. It's a strange thing. It's like we're, um, we're doing that Flix Watcher podcast. And uh, you sent me a link with, uh, I could pick any film I wanted, any film I wanted from Netflix. The only caveat was when it hasn't been done before. And yeah. they actually put in the email that they want us to pick something good. 
because it makes for an interesting chat, which I think is uh, slightly barbed towards our podcast. Um, <laughs> but then I was going through the list and I was going through the list and list because you sent me a nice list, of, a well-ordered list of films and I was going through it and um, just drawn horribly, like inexplicably moth to a flame to the shit films. And it, there's a real, like, it, take, it took me like a fort of wheel to start looking at good films and going, I could review that. I could watch and review that. Well, I thought Matthew, there's a bit where there's a little uh, thing where you could filter. I was thinking, Oh, there's a filter. You can go worse to bad. (laughs) (laughs) I was instantly drawn to the filter. Um, So anyway, there's, that's the Raz Mataz. And what we'll do is we'll obviously when the winners are, uh, are announced, which is, imminent i think is in about two or three weeks time we'll probably just do another chat about the winners and it'll be no surprises so if you want to uh, support the podcast please do so by uh, rating us and leaving a, a lovely review and downloading and subscribing and all that jazz yeah uh, or suggesting up. sports films for our live podcast that'd be nice yes yes or, or any questions maybe or we haven't decided what the format's going to be for the live show yet but we, we might have some questions and answers and stuff like that from you if you want to do that and have your name read out on live on air and bits and bobs we could do a little, little quiz or something i don't know but if you've got anything you want to share with us uh, you know give us a buzz uh, i'm not obviously not on the, on the phone but right so <laughs> Here's my number. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess until the next podcast arrives, uh, Auf Wiedersehen. Auf Wiedersehen. Cheerio. Bye. Arrivederci. (laughs) What's that? Uh, You could just play the whole thing of um, The Hills Are Alive, aren't you? The uh, Sound of Music, where they do that. So long, farewell, Auf Wiedersehen, goodbye. Yep, or you could just carry on singing it. Until I fade you out. <laughs> you had uh, you had a guest, Matthew. I did. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> right, go again. Sorry. It's all right. Um, here we go. You had a guest, Matthew. <laughs> right, just go get out. That's, that's fine. I'm happy with that. Because I did a little bit higher in the voice there, wasn't it? <laughs> it, was, it was the squeak where I knew you were laughing too. That Ooh. makes me go, hey, you had a guest. <laughs> so, uh, you had a guest, Matthew. <laughs> that was Inception. Worse. That was worse because that was slower and clearly... Okay. Try not to. So try, try to try at a normal speed for me, please.